attending City Church. And they've been kind of undercover uh, as far as a church family, but Warren is a full-time missionary with an organization called New Tribes. And um, about two months ago, I had lunch with Warren, and I had plans. I had plans. I had plans for Warren's life. <laughs> and But I went to, went to have lunch with him. I said, Lord, what do you feel that God would have you to do at City Church? What what could be your role? What What area of service? And he said, you know, Pastor, he said, the last time I was on a mid, last time I went to the country that I served in, he said, God just spoke to my heart that I would to come back to City Church and to help make missions part of the culture. And that I could, whatever I could do to serve this church family to make, help City, City Church go forward in our area of missions and reaching the world. And literally, I like just fell off my chair. I couldn't believe it. I was like, yes, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. That's awesome, Lauren. Thank you, Jesus. And, and uh, I want to welcome you this morning, uh, missionary, our own missionary. His wife is over here. She can stand too. But I want to welcome Lauren and Osa Gill to the City Church family. Come on, let's give them a great big hand. <laughs> Lauren, uh, it has really been a great, great privilege getting to know you and your family over the last several years. And uh, uh, you are a are we all we all are missionaries say i am a missionary for jesus christ and this chair is going to topple over on me here i have a feeling before this is done fall out twice oh there you go fall out twice there you go why don't you talk to us a little bit about your missions experience and kind of you know what what's been your experience in missions uh, for your life well i kind of was born into missions my parents were missionaries in the country of bolivia they had gone to a group of people out in the middle of the jungle who had never had contact with anybody in the past and uh, went there. That group of people now has the Bible in their own language. They have their own churches. And so right from the beginning, I saw, you know, the need of missions. I grew up in a uh, house that was mud floors, mud walls, and a thatch roof. Wow. And that's, you know, that's the way we, we lived out there. But so right from the beginning, you know, I, I was saw the need for missions. I, I was drilled in it all the time. But uh, later when I grew up, you know, I was kind of like, well, I wanted to see the rest of the world and try to pull a Jonah. But God, you know, he pulled, pulled a God and pulled us right back Amen. in. Amen. <laughs> pulled <Yeah>. God. <laughs> Big God. <laughs> well, tell us why missions is, why do you think missions is so important for us as a church family? Oh, man, missions is so important because, one, it is God's heart. You know, when I went to Bible school, we were taught, you know, if God says something in the Bible, it's important. God says something in the Bible twice, it's doubly important. Right. Well, you know what? God said, Jesus said, right as he left this earth, five times it's recorded, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Five times. That's right. All four gospels and acts. And you know what? That should tell us that maybe that's five times as important because his heartbeat is to see the world reached for Christ. Amen. And you know what? He gave that commission to each one of us. And so we want to provide ample opportunity for the members of this church to fulfill that commission. That's awesome. Why don't you please talk a little bit about what is currently happening as far as what we do in missions right now here at City Church. Right now, we are financially supporting 30 missionaries. 30 missionaries. Awesome. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand. And it's our first priority. So literally every single week after we get the tithes and the offering, we take 
all the undesignated money, every tithe, all the tithes and the offering, and we take 10% of that and we immediately, it's the very first check because we teach you to tithe. We teach the body of Christ. The first check that you are to write is to the Lord. You're to bring him these first fruits, and so we do the same. And so we support missions and missionaries around the globe. And, uh, and it's an honor. It's an honor to partner with you. It's an honor. And we do support Lauren and Osa, but it's an honor to partner with you, but missionaries around the world. Let's talk about a little bit about what's happening, what's currently, what's kind of on the horizon at City Church, maybe some of our goals and where we're heading with our missions program. Horizon. Well, I think we might have gotten a clue from that video. Anybody have a clue what that video was about? We're Cuba. Cuba. All right. So, you know, we're looking at uh, trying to start sending some short-term trips from our congregation out to different places. And the first trip is January 2012, Cuba. Woo! And in 2012, we want to see at least two trips okay. that are gone. We want to see a group of people that are regularly praying, meeting together, and um, reaching out to both foreign missions and the local community. So we need to get a group of people. We need motivated people who want to see this world reached for Christ. Amen. So we can take about how many people on this, this trip to Cuba, how many people can we take? This trip we have a limit of 10 people, and we've got our, at least five already going for sure. And first service, there were people signing up. So if you want to be involved, you know, right out back, you can sign up. And there's three sign-up sheets out there. There's one for, hey, you know, I'm interested in doing short-term trips in general. Cuba one, specifically. And we're going to be starting a GO group, global outreach group, small group. And if you're interested in being a part of that, there's a sign-up sheet for that as well. That's awesome. Now, what you will not find at City Church is we will not have any printed material out for public consumption concerning this Cuba trip because of the sensitivity of the country. It's still a communist country. It's still a closed country for the most part, although the borders are more open today. There's more of an openness to Western ways, but uh, to not Western, but to you know evangelical Christianity per, um, per se. But um, so it'll just be a you know there'll be a sign-up sheet out there for mission trips, and we will publicly talk about it. Why don't you talk to us what's going to happen next week? Next week we're having the missionary that serves there in Cuba. And he's going to come here and speak to us. And we're going to learn a whole lot more about Cuba, the needs in Cuba, and how we can be the boots on the ground in Cuba and helping out there. So we're really looking forward to that time. We'll, we're going to learn a whole lot more as a congregation and see how we are going to be able to be a part, a small part, of meeting those needs. Awesome. So if you're interested in taking a trip to Cuba and being part of the missions team, it will be a work ministry team. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about going out. Actually, it's been on my heart to do this for the last five years. And God's just kind of brought it all together for this time. And so if you're interested, you can sign up. We want to welcome Lauren Gilk, our new City Church Missions Coordinator. Come on, let's give him a big hand. Love you, brother. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, beginning a series this morning entitled, Move That Mountain. Everyone say, Move That Mountain. You know, you've heard that, Move That Bus, but we're not going to be moving a bus. It might be a bus that's in your way today, but we're going to be moving mountains in our lives. We're going to be learning, we're going to be discovering, and we're going to, going to be experiencing together the power of God's Word when it's released in our life 
in a pro- proactive way as we begin to speak the chorus. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And I have a handout. And if you do not have a handout that looks like this, could you just raise your hand up? A couple of ushers will run to you real quick. If you do not have a handout, we've got some guys down here. We've got some people over here, a couple over here. They're going to run fast. Hey, can I have one of the guys jump? Thank you, Johnny. Jump up there. Appreciate that. Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. We're going to look at two. Everyone say two. We're going to look at two passages of the scripture this morning. Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. And then in the New Testament, we'll be looking at Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verse 22 through 25. Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verse number 22. About four or five weeks ago, when I was praying about the direction of our church and what the Holy Spirit would have me share with you, God just really clearly dropped in my heart that I was to teach you the Bible. Just simply teach the Bible. And so that's what we've been doing. Wednesday night, we started a study in the book of Galatians. And if you were there Wednesday night, it was awesome. It was just great as we kicked off the introduction and talked about Paul's epistle, his letter of freedom, his message of freedom, of hope, which is the quest and the desire of every human heart. And I would invite you to come out Wednesday night to study the Bible with us as we go through the book of Galatians. But this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you on a topic entitled, Move That Mountain. Now, we all have mountains in our life, every person in this room. Uh, We all have obstacles. We have challenges. We have things that just have kind of been in our life, and we deal with them. We've gone around them, but they just keep popping their head back up. I mean, every person. And sometimes mountains just kind of come up on us. But we all have mountains. We all have things that are happening in our world that represent a mountain to us. Now, here's a challenge that we have. I grew up in the Southwest. a couple weeks ago, we showed some pictures of our trip to, to Arizona. We went to the Grand Canyon, but on the way to the Grand Canyon, we stopped in an area called Sedona. Sedona is literally one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's just absolutely incredible. And one of the things about Sedona is that Sedona is just literally the whole hillside, the whole area is filled with mountains that look like this. And I can't express to you, the, the picture doesn't describe the beauty of the mountains in this area, but it's a red rock, and and you can walk up to this rock, and literally, if you put your hand on it, the redness of that, the pigment of that soil will come off in your hand. You can just break it, almost, it's so soft and, and brittle, you can break a piece off and just write right on the ground. And it's just, it's just absolutely spectacular. It's one of the most beautiful settings in the world. And, and being around mountains my whole life, I can tell you that mountains just don't disappear. <laughs> Isn't that right? Mountains just don't disappear. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, however long that mountain has been there, depends on if you believe young earth, old earth, new earth, how, whatever you believe about, that mountain's been around a long time. And that mountain's been there for a long time. Now, it's eroded over a period of time, but it hasn't just moved. And since that's our challenge sometimes with the word, word of God, is that Word of God's been around for a long time, and we have things come into our life, and we just don't see it moving the way that maybe we think that it should or what we believe God says that it should. So I want to speak to your heart this morning about moving the mountains in your life. And if you have your Bibles, Numbers chapter 13, we're going to begin there. We're going to read this story of the children of Israel, God's chosen people, God's favored people. I love Alan Griffith's shirt last week. I said, I am God's favorite. Anybody see that shirt that he had last week? Anybody buy that shirt? Oh, come on. We've got some people. Good. You support Alan Griffin Ministry. That's good. I am God's favorite. And then he turned he turn around and says what? So are you. I'm God's favorite. I'm God's absolute favorite. But so are you. If you've been called out of darkness, if you've been 
if you have been redeemed, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you're now one of his favorites. Say, I'm his favorite. Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse number 26. And the Bible says, they came back to Moses and Aaron. Who is this? Who came back to him? The 12 spies. If you read this whole story, you will find that Moses gets 12 men and he sends them into a land called the promised land. He sends them to spy out the land. Because there was a promise that God gave to his forefather Abraham some 400 years before that said, Hey, my people that will come through you will be the most blessed people on the earth. And they will be blessed so that they can be a blessing. And Moses knew that promise. And Moses also had God speak to him himself about the promises, about the land, a specific place for his people. And they would be a blessed people. And as they come up to this place and time of their life, after they have been delivered from slavery, from the hand of tyranny, from, from Pharaoh, they come to this place in their journey. They come right up to the promised land. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite com community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Then... They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Everyone say milk. Everyone say honey. Milk and honey. Anybody ever have milk and honey together? I guess you're doing hot tea, right? Milk and honey. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. And let me tell you, it was fruit, but the people who live there are powerful. And their cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. For we are well able or we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among them, among the Israelites, a bad report. Everyone say bad report. About the land that they had experienced. And they said, The land we explored devours those living it. All the people we saw of great size. We saw Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, who came from Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers. Everyone say grasshopper. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. I want you to turn to the New Testament now. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verse number 22. This is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus speaking. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Faith. Firm conviction. Complete trust. Complete trust. Firm conviction. That's faith. Complete assurance in your heart. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, 
forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sin also. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. <laughs> forgive our sins. Mountains. Mountains come into your life one of three different ways. Some mountains come into your life as a result of the discipline of the Lord. If you're a believer, you come to Christ, you have faith in Jesus, something gets sideways in your spirit. You start to believe a lie. You start to believe that maybe this thing over here is better than what you have over here, whatever it is. And Christians have all kinds of temptations because we live in a fallen world. We've been a fallen people. We're susceptible to all kinds of sins. And, and, and we find ourselves entangled in doing something that we know that we shouldn't do. We have this internal struggle, the things I do I shouldn't do, the things I don't do. You know, we have this internal struggle, and all of a sudden we find ourselves doing something we shouldn't do, and we experience the discipline of the Lord. And let me tell you, the discipline of the Lord is sure. God loves you. God loves you. I am a father. I love my boys. But I recognize that if I just let my boys go and do whatever they wanted to do, we would have problems sooner than later. And sometimes parents don't get this because, you know, the immediate feeling or the pain of having to do something to help steer your child in the right direction is, is complicated. It's hard. It's not easy. It takes work. And parents fail to do it. And so many times what we see the fruit of that in our culture today is young people involved in all kinds of things that are bringing hell. Right now, what's taking place in Europe, what happened in England just a couple of weeks ago is a direct result of a lack of parental involvement in people's lives. It's a fact. It's obvious it was a breakdown in their life. It was a breakdown. But when discipline comes into your life, it's always for the purpose of restoration. God wants you to repent. God wants you to turn back to Him. We've all been disciplined by the Lord. And it's never easy when we're going through it because many times that discipline of God looks like a mountain. But actually, it's just purely discipline of God making it hard in your life so that you'll turn back to Him and surrender fully to Him. Uh, the, the second way that trials or obstacles come into your life is because you live in a fallen world. You just It's just test. It's the test of God. In the Bible, Abraham was tested. Abraham was called of God. Abraham was promised a blessing from God. And that blessing was tested. The very thing that God gave to Abraham as a blessing, God also asked back to test. God tests you. God tests to see what's in your heart. If you'll really serve Him, if you'll really give Him everything. But not only tests come in your life, trials come in your life just because things happen. Everyone say, things happen. Fallen world happens. The, the fact is today, you live on planet Earth, you breathe this air, and things will happen in your life. You will get sick. You'll get disease. You, you'll have a financial problem. I mean, things happen in life because we live in a fallen world. Pull a Siloam. They came to Jesus and they said, why did all these people die? And Jesus said, well, were they any worse than any other people? No way. Things happen in life. There are things that happen as the result of other people's sins. And then the last, re the last way that you're tested in your life, the last mountain that can come into your life is a direct satanic assault. Satan will tempt you. He'll try to deceive you to turn away from God and go the wrong direction. He did it to Jesus. He did it to the disciples. And he's done it to you. There is no temptation such as common to man. But God has made a way 
escape. So we see tests and trials. We see mountains come into each of our lives. And when we look at the children of Israel, we look at this story, we see that, that, that these spies, they went, out into the, they went out into the promised land. They actually went to the place called the Valley of Eskel. The Valley of Eskel was about one mile in. into the promised land. And one mile into the promised land, they saw their potential. They saw the potential. Not only did they see their potential, they experienced the potential. Not only did they experience the potential, they tasted their potential. I mean, they cut this bow of grapes. They had such a huge bundle of grapes that it took two men to carry them. This text in Numbers chapter 26, it's Numbers 13, it's just an amazing story. They went into the land, and when they saw the land, they saw that the land was good. It was a good land. It was a good place. You see, but they had a problem. They saw their potential, but they didn't believe it was for them. It happens all the time into the kingdom of God. Someone will come into a local church, and, and they'll hear the worship. They'll hear the praise. They'll hear the, you know, they'll hear, they'll not only hear it, but they'll feel it. The, the reason you keep coming back week after week and going to church, the reason that you do is because you get something from it. I mean, something happens. You come and you start to worship. You start to sing. The musicians, it's not that just they're good, but there's the reality of God's divine presence in this place. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. So we gather together, and, and sometimes there's this resistance. There's a struggle inside of you between going, not going, and because the enemy wants to keep you from the reality of every blessing and promise that God has for you. So the children of Israel, they, they see their potential. They, they saw it, but they failed to believe the promises of God. The promises of God. You see, Moses sent them into the land, and he said, I want you to make an accurate assessment. I want you to see what the land is really like. I, I want you to see what's happened in the land. And they come back and they say, hey, the land is really good. I mean, there's houses there. There's homes there. There's all these things. I mean, they're ours. They saw their potential, but they never realized that the promises of God were for them. And that's exactly what happens to us. We see the potential, but we just don't believe it's for us. We didn't come from the right family. We didn't have the right home. You know, the, the fact is today that God wants you to have an accurate assessment of where you are in your life. When things are bad in your life, you need to take a, a truth detector test. You need to see why things are happening because sometimes there are things that just need to change in your life. Maybe you have a physical problem and that physical problem is directly related to your diet. And the way that the Holy Spirit would heal you is by changing the kinds of foods that you eat. It's a fact. Uh, uh, former President Bill Clinton had quadruple bypass a couple of years ago. And I just read this article this week about his life. And, and he's totally changed the way that he eats food. He completely changed his diet. He went from being just a typical guy on the go shoving down a burger whenever he could. To he's eating a totally vegan diet. Completely. I mean completely changed. Why? Because he wants to live. And sometimes changing your life is just simple as changing a few things like that, changing the way you eat. But when they come to spiritual matters, sometimes God wants you to take a real hard look at where you're at. The thing is, when you take an assessment of your life, when you take an assessment of your life, it's not so that you can live in fear. God wants you to live by faith. You see, there's no virtue in being, being ignorant today. 
ostriches stick their head in the sand and pretend like there's not a problem. And that's what we do a lot of times with our lives. We just try to skirt the problems in our life. We just try to pretend like it's not really there. You see, we don't put our head in the sand and live by fear and pretend it's not there. We fill our hearts full of faith and we soar like eagles. See, that's the difference between the heart of fear and the heart of faith. Heart of fear wants to pretend and kind of skirt and cut it, go around it. But a heart of faith wants to run, wants to fly, wants to soar, wants to change the realities of their life. You see, God promised them. God promised them a good land. He said, I will make you a great nation so that you can be a blessing. You can be a blessing. Here's a challenge in your life. If you're not possessing the promises of God, if you're not living in the land, in the place that God has for you, your life will be a bummer. We live two ways as believers. We live as a blessing. We make our lives a blessing. Or we live our lives as a bummer. There's a, one of my favorite lines in the movie from It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey, he's going on and on about Mr. Potter. And he talks about this old man. I actually wrote it down. He says, he says, he's just a warped, frustrated, silly old man. And that's exactly what happens to a lot of Christians. A lot of people who come into the kingdom. They've seen the potential of the kingdom. But they've never entered all the way into everything that God has for them. And because their lives aren't living as channels of blessing, they become frustrated. They become critical. They become discouraged. They start to see their mountains, their obstacles, their challenges, someone else's problems, someone else's fault. It's not my fault. You see, they saw their potential, but they never stepped out into the promise that God had for them. You see, they spoke their unbelief about their perceived problems. Look at verse number 28. But the people who live there are powerful. The people who live in the land are powerful, they said. They, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites. They live in the hill countries. They saw the opposition that they had in their life, and they said, it's too big for me. I can't do it. We say the same kind of thing in our life. We say, well, I didn't get the right education, so I'll never get a good job. You know, I didn't come from the right family, so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to inherit a bunch of money in my life. I, and we, we look at other people and we say, well, they've, they're there because this happened. They, this happened in their life because this, they're connected to this person. You see, what, today for the believer, the promise of God isn't about other people, it's about you. You see, and they spoke their perceived problems. Have you ever noticed in your life when you start to talk about an issue or start to talk about a problem? How it starts to grow. You ever, you, you maybe you've never even thought about something before, and all of a sudden somebody starts to talk to you about a specific, a specific problem, and you start thinking about it, and then you repeat it, and then that thing just starts to grow. It starts to get a life of its own. You see, because the power of life and death are in the tongue, and you will eat the fruit thereof. There's this really wonderful pocket promise of Jesus that's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. And Jesus said this, these words. Can you put that verse up there, Matthew chapter? Jesus said these words. Jesus said, beware, be careful, for man will be judged for every careless word, for every idle word that proceeds from their mouth. It's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. 
When we start to speak things that are useless, when we start to speak words that are full of negativity, when we start to speak words of unbelief, we enter into exactly what the children of Israel did. We start to speak out our perceived problems. They gave a bad report. They spread a bad report. The other day I was walking through Wally World, and, and as I was walking through Wally World, I saw a woman that attended our church a while back. And one thing I know about this person is that every time I would talk to her, she'd have a bad report. Every single time. And as I was walking through Wally World, I saw her coming my way, and I made an exit strategy right away. And as she was coming towards me, I mean, as soon as she opened her mouth, that bad report started coming out about this medication and that medication and this doctor did this. And, and I just grabbed her hand and I said, Sister, God bless you. It's so great to see you again. I hope to see you Sunday morning. See ya. And I just slid around and I, I just, because I didn't want to be filled with a bad report. I mean, you get around somebody and they're moaning and they're going, you know what I've discovered about people that have bad reports? Uh, they like to camp on their bad report. They like to camp on their negativity. You get around someone that's continually negative, and they temp- tend to want to camp around it. And what people do when they go camping, nobody ever wants to go camping alone. They always want to have a great big party when they go camping. So they got a bad report, and then they want everybody else to hear their bad report. <clears throat> when I was working in the restaurant business years ago, I worked for this particular man, and, and the man that I worked for had a bad report about the owner of the company. He didn't like the owner of the company. For whatever reason, he had his grievances, and he had worked for this man for over 20 years, so obviously they'd had things that had happened. And he'd always speak negative about the owner. He'd always speak about how terrible and all these different kinds of things. And over a period of time, I found that almost everybody that I worked with in the company had a, a bad report about the owners. I mean, and I found myself, I had a bad report about the owners. I thought negative about them. They're the man, stick it to the man. What's going to take a little bit from the man? What's the big deal? Until I got saved. Until Jesus changed my heart. And then I began to realize it was because of the man that I was able to pay my rent every month. It was because of the man that I was able to put food on my table. It was because of the man I was able to write out a check and give the tithe and the missions. And I started to have a different perspective about the man that I worked for. And I realized he wasn't there just to bless me. That job wasn't there just to bless me. But I was there to be a blessing. And I started living my life to be a blessing. And my heart went from being frustrated, angry all the time at work, to really having a sense of joy about the place I worked at. And what happened when I left there was completely uh, unexpected to me. I was called to go to school. I felt called to ministry, and I went to Bible college. And my last week at the job, my boss came up. The owner of the company came to me, and he said, Eugene, he said, any time you want to come back and work, you always have an open door to me. My world completely changed. Why? Because I had a different perspective about my problem. I had a a different perspective about the world that I lived in. Psalms chapter 35 says, let them shout and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them continually say that the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So you have to see yourself differently. They saw themselves as insignificant. They saw themselves as small. They saw themselves as people not worthy. I mean, they had been slaves for 400 years. They had been wandering around the wilderness for uh, for 40 years. I mean, they were frustrated with their life. They didn't seem like they were going anywhere. But they didn't understand who they were. And that's exactly what happens to believers. You don't understand who you are in Christ. You don't understand your position and your authority as a child of God. 
28 years ago, I memorized this verse. At the time, I really didn't even understand what it means. At the time, it didn't have any life revelation to me. But I can tell you it does today because I know who I am in Christ. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You ought to get it out. You ought to write this verse down. You ought to get this, take this verse to memory. This verse, if you get this verse into your heart, it will change your life. You see, Peter says this about you. You are a chosen generation. You're a chosen generation. You have been chosen by God. You didn't choose God. How silly is that to think that the creator of the universe allowed you to choose him? No way. He picked out, he looked all over the landscape of all the earth and he looked down and he said, I want you and I want you and I want you and I want you. You are a chosen generation. And when God chooses you and you come into his family, all of a sudden something else happens. Now you take on royalty. You are a royal priesthood. Let me tell you, you see, today you are no longer just son of so-and-so, daughter of so-and-so. Now you are the daughter of the king. You are the son of the king. And because you are the daughter and the son of the king, the royal blood, the royal blood of God himself, of his son Jesus, flows through you. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people. You're a holy people today. You know the word wholeness means to be whole. Oh, I don't see, I'm not whole. I got all this broken. That's just because you see yourself wrong. You're saying the wrong things about yourself. You're speaking the unbelief about yourself. You're too small. and You don't know this addiction and you don't know the struggle I keep having with my finances or with my marriage, with my children. You see, you're seeing yourself wrong. See, that's not how God sees you today. You're a holy nation. You're being called out of darkness. Yes, you once were that, but that's not who you are today. You have been called by God. He's called you out to take you in. You see, he called the children of Israel out of darkness, out of 400 years of slavery, of tyranny, of bondage, of Pharaoh, and of Egypt. But that wasn't where God was going to leave them. You see, God called them out because he wanted to take them into the promised land. But you got to see yourself differently. you got to see yourself the way that God sees you, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has a marvelous light. God has a marvelous path. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Although it's never easy. It's never easy. I want to challenge you today. Make your God bigger. Make God bigger in your life. You just start reading promises. Start reading the promises of God for you. Over 3,000 promises in this scripture. Just for you. Believe. This is for you. This is what separates the winners from the losers in the kingdom of God. Is this one simple thing. Belief. Faith. Uh, I want you to do this. I want you to get yourself a bigger God. Everyone say, bigger God. God. And I want you to get yourself a smaller devil. You see, you got to get a smaller devil. How does that mountain move in your life? See, for the children of Israel, they were saying all the wrong things. But there was one guy. There were actually two guys. But in our story, there was one guy. 
His name was Caleb. His name in the Hebrew literally means a ruddy dog. That's what his name means, a ruddy dog. He was red-haired. He was rough and tumble. When he was 80 years of age, he said, God, let me take another mountain. Let me kick another devil in the teeth. Let me bust another Amalekite in the mouth. Let me tell another Canaanite where to go. Come on, let me take another mountain. You see, in your life, you will have opposition. You will have enemies as long as you have breath on this planet. So you must know who you are. You must understand your authority of God. And you must be willing to speak to your mountains. you got to silence them. Caleb, he's silenced. Stop, 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 stop. Listen, I've seen the land. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I've tasted the goodness of God. I've eaten of the fruit. Ah, yeah, those are big big giants. But I know the God that I serve. You see, after him came a man by by the name of David. And he knew the God that he served. You see, there was a great big giant in his life. There was a great big problem in his life. There was a great big obstacle in his life. But David looked at that giant and he said, listen, you come to me with the sword and the spear. But let me tell you, I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host, the Lord God Almighty. And today, today, I will have your head in my hand. See, when you are speaking faith, when you are speaking what God says and not what your situation says, not what the world says, not what the news says. Listen, i got to tell you today, it's negative out there. It is negative. It's negative on talk radio. It's negative on regular news. I mean, every once in a while, you know, on the evening news, they try to slip in a good, feel-good story. But it's 29 minutes of feel bad about yourself. And one minute, oh yeah, everything's going to be all right. No, listen, you got to get another report in your spirit, in your heart today. Whose report do we believe? We believe the report of the Lord. The foundation for the series is Mark chapter 11. See, how do you do it today? How do you speak to the mountain? You got to silence your enemy. And the only way that you can silence your enemy is with the word of God. It's not by, I'm telling you. It's the only way that you can silence. When Jesus confronted the enemy, he spoke to him. When Jesus spoke to the devil who came to tempt him, he said, it is written. That's why we're learning the Bible together. That's why we're going to study the Bible together. Because you've got to get this faith in your heart. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you speak what God says, your reality begins to change right here, right in here. For with the heart, man believes. With the heart, it all starts in the heart. Silence your enemy. Have faith in God. Have complete trust, confidence in the God that you serve. You must speak to your mountains. You must speak to your marriages that are broken. You must speak over your finances. Listen, when God, when God gives a promise, his promise is yes and amen. I'm not making this up. This is the scripture. The promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe. Either he's the supplier, come on, either he's the supplier or he's not. Either he's your source or he's not. 
you know, one of the great things about when economic troubles come, it just shakes everything out. It causes people to realize, hey, I can't trust in Visa Card. I can't trust in American Express. I can't trust in the prosperity of the United States government. i got to put my trust in the living God. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. You know the cool thing? Even in the midst of recession, there are people that still prosper. You know the really cool thing is that there are people that still believe. There are people that are still willing to fight. There are believers that are still willing to get up and say, come on, we're going to take this mountain one more day. I know it hasn't moved yet, but if I just hit it one more time, today's going to be the day that that mountain goes down. Come on, today's going to be the day that your mountain moves in the name of Jesus. Oh, it didn't happen. Well, get up tomorrow. Today, mountain, you must remove. Well, it didn't happen. Well, get up the next day. Today, your mountain must, must be removed. Is there a mountain in your way? Is there a mountain in your way? Is there a mountain in your way? Speak to your mountain. If you have faith, you will say unto this mountain, Be thou removed. Well, I haven't seen it yet. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Just read the promises. Read the promises. And then you're going to find that there are some... There are some who died who never received the promise in this life. There are some who died. You know what the Bible says? They died believing. They died. They went down all the way for the fight. They went down all the way swinging. Come on. All the way to the end. To the end we will win. He that perseveres to the end will win. He that overcomes... I will give him the crown of life. They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They spoke it. You got to speak what God says about your reality. My pastor, Pastor Wendell, loved faith declarations. He made them all the time. He made them all the time. He said, he said this about a faith declaration. He said, a faith declaration is made with our heart and our mouth agreed together. And we speak God's word with the spirit of faith. A faith declaration is building up of our spirit and faith to a higher level. Here's a faith declaration for you. The, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. First thing in the morning. Today is the day. Today is the day the Lord has made. The Lord is my son and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from me as I walk uprightly. Faith declaration. I declare the Lord delivers me from all my troubles. I believe today God's plans for me to prosper me, not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. I will speak whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I will speak these things. Today, you've got to say no to your grasshopper mentality. You're not small. You're not insignificant. You've been chosen by God. You're royal. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the king. you got to say no to that grasshopper. So many believers live. And I've done it myself, guys. We've all done it. But today's a new day. Forgive yourself. The past is over. Today's a new day. Be 
begin to speak what God says, you're going to be tested in this. This is just Bible 101. This is Bible 101 for the believer. You got to say no today. No to your fears. And yes to the greatness of God. You got to say no to the thoughts that a bad economy will hinder your ability to provide for your family. You got to say no to it. You got to say no. You got to say no to limited wrong reasoning that says God can't use any methods of people to supply my needs and his time. You got to say no to fear and worry that says God will not show up on time when I need him. You got to take a stand. You got to take a stand. You got to silence your enemy. You have a promised land in your life, you have a good place. You have a place that God has for you. You have the promise of God about your marriage. You have the promise of God about your children. You have the promise of God about your finances. You have the promise of God about your physical body. You have the promises of God. You have the promises of God about every area of your life. Today, God wants you to speak it forth. Silence your enemy. Quiet your enemy. Today is the day of salvation.